Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Carl Falconer, um, him of The View, uh, and yeah, I mean, incredible solo career since, and we talk about both. Um, Carl's great, man. Like, you're in for a, a proper treat. Um, completely open book, like real, real good talker. And uh, I can't wait for you to, to listen to this episode. Um, before we get going, um, just a few thank yous. So thanks to 76 for producing this. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. And thanks to you lot for uh, continually supporting, liking, retweeting and sharing and doing all that stuff. Uh, just generally supporting the podcast. So thanks loads. Um, also, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track, then when you get to the end of today's episode, go and explore the back catalogue because there's about 350 episodes now and you can hear me talking to, you know, uh, a, a huge array of actors, musicians, DJs, producers, as diverse as Motley Crue to Foo Fighters to Maxine Peake through to Suede, Idols, uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, oh gosh, Fatboy Slim, Butch Fig. Go, go, go have a little rummage because um, there's a big, big bundle of chats uh, and you can listen to them all uh, for free. Um, okay, well, um, also there's a, a Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to get some extra content, then you can support the podcast over there. Um, I'll put up radio shows there. You can watch all the episodes. I'll put the videos of all these episodes up uh, on the Patreon, and that's going to cost you 79p a month, which uh, is pretty reasonable, right? Um, anyway, it gives me great pleasure to say, please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Carl Falconer. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um, And what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beat and track listeners, go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Right, we are recording. Um, Carl, how you doing, man? I'm good, mate. Good to be here, man. Good, good, good. We've just been chatting before uh, before we press record. Uh, you're coming uh, off the back of uh, a marathon in Loch Ness, man. That looked great. Yeah, it was... Uh... So I've I've never like done officially done a marathon. I've done the distance before, but um, I think I was a bit I was going in a bit cocky because I, I, I didn't understand it. So the the guys like 
I just went to the front of the queue, you no, know, like to the very front of the start line, and, I, and then I looked, and it was all these like maniacs, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, oh no, you're supposed. So there was like five thousand people behind us. I was like, why are they not coming to the front? It makes sense to go to the front, but that was all the fast people, so everyone's overtaking us in that. So I think you're supposed to go like I, the, my marathons have done before or three hours forty five minutes. So I was like, okay, I'll maybe go back a bit, and then. But this one was like full of hills and it was just, I did not expect it. And it was like, I had to get up a half six and I didn't get any breakfast because you had to get a bus to the to the place. And if I didn't get there on time, you, you missed you missed that bus. So the hotel I was in wasn't serving breakfast at that time. So I had two like wee protein balls. But luckily I had a big massive cheeseburger the night before. But I was like, <laughs> I, would have, I would have been out. And I was like, no, I need some food freaking out. And then it was like, but gale force winds and like snow up the mountains and everything. I was like, oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not getting off this bus. But I got off and done it, man. It was class, you know. I, I, honestly, I felt. I, I, I think about about eight mile mile. Everyone kept saying mile eighteen. There's a massive hill. Like just beware of it. And I got I saw it. I was like, dun dun dun. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, they're, they're no joking. This is massive. And then there was all these guys like they were like, yeah, I've done like twenty six marathons and all this. And they were like, yeah, all over the world. And then this guy was like just vomiting at the side. The guy was telling me all. He was like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're not finishing this one, buddy. And then even when I'd finished, I was like driving back over the bridge in like uh, Inverness and that guy was just finishing it was about an hour later but he was so, so funny because he was showing off before I went yeah I've done like so many marathons all over the world <laughs> so, yeah it's a man it's class and so uh, I mean a lot of people have got into running over the last sort of 16 17 months that's obviously been a little bit weird for for everyone on the planet so before we start the place just to touch on that really Carl and and, and ask like how you found lockdown both personally and and creatively um so we, we were in um we were in uh, i sold my house and because i just finished touring my my album my, my no thank you album and i was i had my second child so i was away for quite a while i was all over the world doing that and then i was like i'm not really seeing the kids enough so we i had this mad idea i was like why don't we sell the house move move over to america and then like I'll just be a songwriter everyone keeps asking me to write songs and I'm going to do it so I've done that and then see a couple of months into it we're living in a small apartment in Los Angeles and a couple of months into it the locked uh, thingy happened uh, uh, Covid so we had to come home because it was like everyone was going about with guns there and we were in this wee small apartment I was like we need to get out of here this is rage so we got back and then you weren't allowed to like you weren't allowed to view houses or we weren't allowed to buy houses. Everything was, it was mayhem. So we, we came back to Dundee and there was nothing. So we, we, we went on, like, we found a private renter that we didn't, that you didn't, you didn't have to go inside. So we ended up in Arbroath, which is like, if you're from Dundee, you don't really just go and live in Arbroath. It's quite a strange thing. So we're in this, like, little fishing village uh, with a family. And it was, I was, I was, I quite enjoyed it. You know what I mean? It was like, it was just us. It was just me and my two girls and my, and my missus, and we were just in this cottage. Normally, I'm I'm twenty four, like twenty four hours, like nonstop every day of the week. Like there's something going on. So I think like, a lot of people are, but to have nothing to do and not worry about like work or anything, it was just it was kind of good. Um, we were in the, going in the woods every day, playing like Scooby Doo games with the kids and like building, making bone arrows and like buying like every paddling pool under the sun and like <laughs> just just being just being mad. It was great, and then. I was writing a lot as well. So when it, then I was like started chomping at the bit to get work done. And I was like, oh, I need to do something. Like what if all this lifts and I've just been sitting on my arse not doing anything. So I was like, okay, I've got enough songs here. When I was in Los Angeles, I wrote quite a lot of songs. So I was like, I, I contacted this guy that I'd, uh, that I'd met over there. And I was like, do you, can I come over and do some, do an album with you? And he was like, yeah. So I got a bounce back loan. No, like one of these things that everyone was getting. I was like, Shit, why not? When in, when in Rome, no, I mean, I've yeah, got a bounce back loan. So I got one and then I, I, spent, I, I spent it on making the record, but I couldn't get over to America. So we were, trying, we were trying every place where you could get into. So it was like the Jamaica, we were going to go to Jamaica because you were allowed into there. And then there was maybe Thailand. And then it was, but he, we couldn't, both of us, because he was from America and I was from the UK, both of us couldn't get in to, to certain places. So he came over here and then recorded it in the, the the Libertine studio in Margate. Uh, How was that? Yeah, it was class. It was good, man. It was just me and him recorded everything. It was just me, me and a guy Frankie Saragusa. Uh, he plays drums and like we, we both play everything. So it was just like no, like not. Sometimes when you're in a studio, there's always like there's people, there's people videoing, there's managers, and there's there's um but the band it's, it's really 
comp like it's no there's too many cooks kind of spoil the broth but this time it was like just me and him doing everything and I never had management either at the time so I, I was in talks with Alan McGee uh, who was kind of just took over the view at that time and he was like I don't really do pop music and I was like because I've wanted because I'd made all these pop songs and 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 uh and lockdown and I was writing them for other people so I was going full on pop you know what I mean so like and I've never done that and, and I do love pop music no I don't like like total pop but like I was kind of I grew up with, with women and they they love pop music like, I love ABBA and everything and like Michael Jackson and like that, that's I, I kind of like more more sensitive stuff you know what I mean like but obviously being in the view you get tired with just fucking drugs and rock and roll and like jail you know what I mean <laughs> it's yeah. like that's not me man you know what I mean so I think uh, doing that was great but I was a wee bit uh, releasing it I was like oh no how is people going to find it but I, I don't think people fucking care anymore people don't actually I don't know, like, no. At the time, I was all like nervous to release it, and I was like, "It's just, a, it's just a song," you know what I mean? Before, I think if that was like two thousand and seven to, to two thousand and fifteen, because you've got the band as well, they'd be like, "Oh no, there's no way we we're releasing that." But it was up to me. I had no management, no label, anything. So I was just like, "Fuck it." So, but then I ended up getting a record label and and publishers and all that. So it kind of took a different direction. But yeah, it was good just to to be my own boss. I've always kind of been my own boss, but total boss like right even in the studio it was like even though that Frankie was uh, producing it it was still like right what we're doing here no there was nobody else it's just me and I was like okay let's just start this today and do this song and it was like it was pretty cool because normally if you're with a view like they'd be going oh I remember one time like uh, the, uh, I was singing this song How Long on our fourth album uh, Cheeky for a Reason and, and I remember saying hello this dead hybrid and then I hadn't really sung like that before on a record and I remember um the boy's going, fuck's sake, Beyonce, calm down. I was, like, I was like, I was like, fuck yes. It really broke my ego, man. It made me feel shit. And I was like, you boys, I'm fucking just in there, like, like giving up my all, like my heart and soul. And you are calling me Beyonce. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I was like, but, but do you know what I mean? You never got away with that stuff for the view, but I, I'm, I'm eager to see what would happen if we got together now and tried to do music together because it's been six years. It's been like, what, seven years since we've done an album or something. So it'll be weird. Well, let's start the playlist, and uh, and for track one, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Uh, I, I picked this song up the bracket by the Libertines because I just think it's strange, and it's I, I'd rather than pick a big crazy like intellectual interview. I just thought, because <laughs> it's like I, I remember being that was when I first kind of got into that kind of music. I was into like. Beatles and White Oasis and that, but I remember just thinking how how like the I've always thought that the Libertines were like lurch, lurching in the mire, and just like really decrepit. Like it was, I just imagine London to be like that when you were in a nightclub and like an, an indie night or something in Dundee, and that came on, you were just fucking buzzing. It was just like ding ding, and everyone started pogo, and it was brilliant. So yeah, it's uh, it, and, and I think one of the things that like I, I've I've run like a, a, an alternative like indie club for for 30 years and and i've watched these different kind of sort of scenes happen and and come and go and and the libertines created such a furore when that come out and it sounded so much like you know oasis it's it's tight as hell it's really structured but there was something loose and definitely grimy and grubby about the libertines as you said it's like it just everything that they sort of projected just seemed a little bit rough around the edges and it seemed like you'd see these people in tan. Do you know what I mean? They didn't yeah. look like rock stars like Liam yeah. and Noel. And, and do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that was, I think that was what, when we, when we were in a band, like when the view got together, we were, we were trying, we were still obsessed with Oasis and stuff. And when, when the Libertines came around, it was, we started like going, fuck it, like not washing and shit. And like, <laughs> just like, just like, that's when the drugs really started. We were like, kind of we sniffing them again, but it was like, whoa, let's get into fucking the Libertines. This is class. And then from the Libertines, we got into the clash and got even more like just, ah, this fucking landing, mate. It was like, <laughs> I mean, loved it. Loved it, man, honestly, because he, even when we we'd do tours, I would just throw my shoes away and just have no shoes for like I went nearly a year without shoes and it was like we used to have like competitions to see who could see who could be the grubbiest you know what I mean like it was like that all comes from the libertines that was like a, it was a thing you know people did there was a smell nobody had aftershave or none it was just like everyone was just stinking like you know what I mean like just then like the noise of like like 2005 to like I think about 2010 it changed 
that bands like the vaccines and that come along and then it kind of got a bit more clean and like the slicked back hair and then Alex Turner started doing his he's a uh, uh, little baby good thing you know what I mean and then everyone got a bit clean then and then yeah you were kind of like oh there's some drugs in that pool and laptops are in now and fucking do you know what I mean it was like everything's recorded and everyone's technical and you know what I mean it was all done by the book and then I was still like oh shit I'm just kind of getting into this whole rock and roll thing and the music's coming out of it I've got to buy a fucking yeah. shower gel now what's that all about <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, you mentioned like uh, y- your love of pop music and, and in regards to intros from looking at when like the view started and the way that people would listen to music then to how people would listen to music now I watch my kids and, and my kids uh, you know finding their music via you know all manner of apps and, and TikTok and things like that and do any of them I mean and you're seeing with, with big commercial pop music you're seeing lots of songs that are literally two and a half minutes and start with a chorus and it's just hook 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 like do any of them kind of changes in 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 you know maybe attention spans getting smaller and, and thumbs moving quicker uh, honestly Carl I've tried to frame this question right for about 350 episodes and I've never fucking got it right where I'm going with it <laughs> but to the way that that these new trends in, in music and, and things that we're seeing in, in commercial pop music, you know, the science of it and stuff like that. Does any of that filter through when you pick up your guitar and you write a song? Do you know where um, I'm going with that question? I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, so like, but and uh, back in the day, like to, in the, back in the day, well, but 2007 to like 15 was when we were, when you still didn't, I mean, when we first got on the radio, like, for example, that was like 2006, right? So then there was, even then they were cutting your songs to go on the radio. So we had massive intros, but but then we would go like, fuck it. I mean, even if you look at our second album, that was, it's like an hour and 10 minutes at last for us. I mean, that's, that's, you don't get that done anymore. That'll be how it wasn't accepted. You know what I mean? And calling it witch bitch, you're not allowed to do that. It's all PC. It's like, like there's stuff like, I think like nowadays, like, especially, like, since I've kind of got back on the radio recently, this is the first bit of radio play I've had, like, in a long time, because I kind of had to get rid of my reputation and sort of clean up a bit and then admit defeat to you, you know what I mean? And, and then there was I, all of my songs, that I, I'd thought about keeping them three minutes, but some of them go for four to four minutes, and I had these amazing intros, but even my American producer guy, he was like, dude, you got to fucking cut that. There's no way you're getting that shit through. And I was like... I was like, come on, man, what, what do you mean? It's a cool intro. He's like, it doesn't matter. And then the, the, then it goes to the mixer and he then he'll cut it down again and he'll take they take everything off it. So even I had this song and it's like, unless you're Adele, I mean, I had the, got this song Don't Call Me Baby on my new record and I was trying to get it as a single. They were like, they're not going to play it because it's too slow. I was like, fucking listen to every Adele song. They're slow as fuck. Boys Capaldi's all slow. It's like, they're like, yeah, but unless you're them and you're on a, a pure humongous major label, nobody's got time to listen. So you've got one, you've got a chance, you've got to go bang, 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 fucking get it out right away. Do you know what I mean? So it is shit. I mean, but it's kind of the way, but I'd, I've never thought about it like that, obviously, because people are, have not got the attention span. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, fuck, mate, that intro's too long. You know what I mean? Get it off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't get a chance. But yeah, but now and again, there comes along a song like fucking Arcade Fire or someone here. They're so cool that you've got that they make it cool to listen to the intro. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, Arcade Fire. It's like, oh, there's like 15 million of them. It must be cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, well, I'm going to ask you um, for track two, mate, to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Um, I was quite an emotional wee boy anyway, but I think I remember <laughs> I remember I went through a phase of I was obsessed with Michael Jackson and I remember listening to Man in the Mirror and I used to snap pencils and and, and like I used to show people Man in the Mirror and then go, Do you feel it? And they'd be like, What the fuck are you on about? <laughs> and I was like six or seven and going and go, I'm so emotional, I'm snapping a pencil. Where do I find the strength to do that? It's because Michael's given me the strength. It's weird. Oh, we've got to like just look at ourselves in the mirror. I didn't have a clue what he was on about, but I knew it was yeah. emotional. Do you know what I mean? I never knew what he was actually talking about as a kid. It was only until I got older, but I was like, but just what he was saying, it was just, it just sounded emotional. It's like, but I remember thinking, that's why I want you to know. It's like, oh, it's, oh, just class, man. I still love it, man. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, whatever people's perceptions are on, 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 you know, whatever Michael Jackson's done, uh, you know, and anything aside as a, as an artist, 
And and also, as a vocalist, it's fucking off the scowies voice, isn't it? And it's... Yeah, man. And it's that... Do you know what? It's when I hear um, Can You Feel It by the Jacksons, and you've got all the Jacksons that have all got really good voices, and I don't think Michael comes in until, like, the third chorus. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, people love the world. And it's like, oh, man. And it just goes to a different level, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, it's oh, yeah, there classic. you go. There's the fucking star. It's like. And they're, yeah. they're all sitting raging like, oh, it's my little brother again. You <laughs> <laughs> know. Oh, dear. So if you had to sort of pinpoint what that emotion was, what do you think it was? Um, I, I think I was, inspi- I was inspired. I think it was inspiration, like. But I was like, because that's what, because I remember thinking that's what he wants you to know, but still not really knowing what he was on about. But you kind of do get it as a kid, do you know what I mean? Because I used to watch the video. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of the, the Moonwalker video, you know what it was like, all this stuff in the one on, and I had to be filming in the middle. Um, but I, I think it was definitely inspiration. I used to, I, I still get that to this day. Like, I've got this thing where I bite my finger when I'm, Fucking, it's either when I'm really angry or I'm really excited, and I've got I've got a fucking outlet. It's like my ADHD. It's like, it's like fucking mad, and I just like it's just that. I just like I just fucking just if I never snapped a pencil, I probably would have put my head through a window. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so <laughs> right, fucking. And so, where was that? Where was you listening to that? Where was growing up? Um, at Dundee. Um, I think I used to always. I, I remember getting the history, the history al- al- album on tape. I went to South Africa because my, my family's from there, and I got it on tape. And when I was, so I was seven when I went there, and that, so that would have been two thousand ninety four, maybe ninety four, ninety five, when the history album came out. And I went to South Africa, and I remember listening to it on the plane, like and just being blown away by all these songs because I knew Michael Jackson. I had, I had like Thriller and stuff on like on VG, VHS taped, but I never knew. Um, like all these songs, it was fucking mental. No, like all the like tabloid junkie and all them stuff that's on the second, the second and the song history, all these stuff. And I started getting really into it. I think that was what got me into got me into music and singing. Uh, like Michael Jackson was the first thing I was obsessed. That was all I cared for. And then I loved. Uh, I think after that it was Eminem. I was like Michael Jackson for was like five years, like nothing else. Uh, and then Eminem, and then I started writing like raps and like rhymes, and then. Started smoking weed, <laughs> and, and then I got into the Beatles. But I remember thinking the Beatles were really old, like thinking, oh, "Listen to that old shit!" Like yeah. fucking. Uh, and then, like when I was a bit of eleven, I kind of started getting it. And then twelve, I went, "Fuck, I need to get a guitar." And then the thirteen, I was writing on songs, and I knew every single. I used to have like all the 
all the Paul McCartney is dead clues on the wall and then I had every album cover like repeated like just on just used to print them off at school and it's just like so I felt like that if I wasn't looking at anything Beatles related then I was wasting my time you know what I mean that's how obsessed I was I was like fucking I'd put super glue on my fingers at night and just like just touch my guitar until I went to sleep and then I just freaked myself out by listening to Revolution Number no. 9 on repeat it's like oh, I don't know <laughs> fucking I was a weird kid man, I was, like, it was like nothing's changed like but I don't know but I remember just thinking like thinking in this like bu- this wee bubble and I felt like because everyone was into Stone Roses and Oasis still and I'd kind of I loved Oasis but I wasn't a, at this time I wasn't a, it took me a wee another wee while to, to really obsess over them but then the Beatles I felt like they were mines personally and everyone else was uh, in the Stone Roses because all my mates were all the view boys were a year older than me so I kind of went about with all my friends were a year older and they were all like, I started playing the guitar and they were like, oh, you played playing the Stone Roses. I was like, fuck the roses. You call them the roses, Ken. Oh, the roses, fuck the roses. And then, and then all of a sudden people were like, oh, what's, oh, we're kind of, what's that Beatles song you were playing? And then everyone was begging me to show them how to play them. I was like, oh, he's a coming crawling now. He's a <laughs> like, yeah, this is my information, my Beatles. <laughs> it's like, but, uh, honestly, that's what I felt like. I felt like it was totally mine. So it was so weird. Well, staying in the formative years <clears throat> for track three, uh, I'm going to ask you to tell me, I don't know if you can remember what you sent over, if not, give us a nudge. Um, the song that reminds you of your time at school. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you a wee nudge. Uh, you, well, you've just mentioned, Matty, uh, Eminem, my name is. Eminem, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think that was when I, I remember, it reminds me of school because that's when my kind of memory started when, because I think in first year, I think you, it's different in, in England, but when we go to first year, it's after Premier 7. So I remember I was kind of into Michael Jackson. I like musicals like Grease and like fucking uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, West Side Story. I was into like stuff like that. Like kind of wasn't like a, I was quite a rough kid, you know what I mean? But I just liked musicals and stuff. Like when I got to the secondary, I discovered Eminem. And I started, I was fucking blown out. I was into South Park and stuff like Eminem and I was I'm still am. South Park's my favourite thing in the entire world. That's, I'm obsessed. But when I discovered Eminem, I was I just reading the lyrics and because obviously I'd only heard the thing on, on the box and on like MTV and you'd get the one about the swim and I got the real one and I was like, fuck, who's this Marlon Manson he's talking about and all this? And I started like going in a big a big hole and it just reminds me that was another thing I'd come into school and I'd, I, me and my mate McPhail who'd done like all the views artwork and on the covers and that, he... He he was good. He, I got him into it and stuff as well. But he, we, we used to sit and read the lyrics, and I, it just reminded me of school. I felt like we were we were kind of hard one up on the teachers because we were like listening to it in our ears and just going about yeah fucking on about fucking bitches and hoes, and it was just it was mental. Then we got into like like two thousand and one, like Doctor Jane. I was like, oh my god, like fucking bitches and hoes. It was like, what is this? And my mum would go mental. I'd be blaring it, and she'd go, mum, it's music. I used to say to my mum, it's it's for it's for a project in school. We've got to listen to it. And she'd go, are you sure? And I'd get my sister to go, and my sister would go, yeah, that's the judge. And she'd go, that's fine if you listen to it. And she'd go, but you can, you, that's no right, what he's saying. I was going, no, nah, it's just fun. <laughs> that was fucking insane. But um, yeah, like, I think that was about a year or two. And then we were into like, I was into like Two Park and Biggie Smalls and all that. And, but then when you were into that, it was like, everyone was kind of thought, that everyone's smoking weed in that. And I thought, I've never really liked going about and, on big groups and that and I was like but we kind of did we'd, we'd go to this this old like sort of abandoned school that we used to play football and like after school and everyone just going about listening to this and rap music and like just some of the chat was just no it was bad and they were still like there was just people started getting out of drugs and and that was that I was like oh that's that's pretty that's, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this shit you know what I mean like people, yeah. 12 and 13 year olds taking ecstasy and like I was like, fuck, and just while we're playing football, like double drop and ecstasy, and like fucking, I was like, shit, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out with this rap game. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, fuck, I'm just going to stick with the Beatles. So then, yeah, I, I think what happened was I remember go, we used to be in gangs and stuff when we were kids as well. So I remember like getting chased, and we used to chase each other back and forward. And one time I got caught. And because nobody would ever get caught, it was just like you chase each other and they go, oh, the fucking, oh, the Charleston are in, are in a. And then driver or, the, the, or whatever or the Whitfield are coming in you chase each other but one time uh, the guy I was chasing was chasing I used to be the, the, the youngest and the, the smallest and I was like and we thought it was a wee hard nut and I was chasing this guy down the street and one time he just he just stopped in his tracks and like, as if to say well, why am I running through this wee dick and I was like no <laughs> just grabbed us and fucking he had a baseball bat took us out put, done us in and then everyone started filling us in and my mate Rennie who plays Keys for the View now he was 
he was from Charleston. He was like, oh, that's Ronnie Faulkner's wee brother. Get off him, fucking all this. And then I couldn't go back to my mum's because I had oh, the face was a mess. So I, had, I said I was doing a school project again and stayed at my mates, like a couple of, just a couple of streets away, Jimmy's, Jimmy Harris. And, and my, his mum was like, oh, we'll just we'll put some makeup on you and we'll just, we'll just make sure you didn't go out for a couple of days. And, and then my mum came back, had a hat on, and she was like, what is here? What's happened? And she was like, the fuck? She's freaking out. And I'm like covered. And was, she was like, right. So she got us a guitar and my brother-in-law got us a, an electric guitar and an amp. And I just basically stayed in after that, became a recluse. And then that was kind of how I got good at my trade. So I'm, I'm blessed to have been battered that day from that day. <laughs> uh, I remember his name. It was Frankie Melvin. This guy is fucking, I remember it. It was fucking scary times. But yeah, that was that was good. When it, kind of, I felt like it helped my, my, my path in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, Even if it's sore. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it involves a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> and so it just sort of, you know, aside from getting, you know, cracked with a bat, like, did you enjoy school? <laughs> I loved school. I loved, I loved the whole primary. I loved the whole uh, secondary. Um, yeah, because I think I loved school because uh, we kind of had the, the wee group of guys that used to go, but we like, everyone was obsessed with music. We were all in this kind of wee thing. And there was, they had, they had the, the guys that played football. Kind of, we were all, we all played football as well. I loved it. I, I played for like, uh, like Dundee Schoolboys when I was 11 and stuff. So I was kind of into it. But once I got into music, I stopped it. And then we were into snooker for a bit. That was a big thing. Like everyone used to go to snooker. But I think like um, just every day I used to get excited to go into school because at, at, at breaks we'd, we'd go into the room, we'd all grab a guitar and we'd just have a jam. But this guy, Mr. Bell, who was like the math teacher, and he'd just bring all his guitars in and we got to play. And then at lunchtime we'd walk and we'd just start argue about the Beatles and Stone Roses and just about Oasis and then just eat with chips and macaroni or whatever and just like just chat about music the whole day and it was I enjoyed it man and, and then I loved I, I got pretty good grades you know what I mean I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't that bad at school like I was I was just a bit uh, preoccupied you know what I mean I was always like writing songs or like doing something I remember this guy in my class he was uh, Mark Navarro he's like one of my mates from back in the day he's a boxer now but he was remember he was like, he used to listen to my songs, but one day I, I brought my tape in to show the music teacher. It was like a tape, I'd recorded it from a four track and I had these songs. They were pretty cheesy, but then I was thinking, these are really cool. Uh, and I didn't want to be here, but in, in, the, in Spanish class, he, he grabbed it in my bag and played it as if to send embarrasses. And then it was like, and all the, all the girls were like, oh my God, that's so cute. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh yes, <laughs> you know, I'm in there. I, mean, I was like embarrassed, like, no, I don't want you to play it and all this. And they played it and they're like, that is so cool. And then it kind of became a thing. Everyone was like, then people started copying the tape and then it was getting like shown around school and people were like, oh, have you heard this stuff? And then so it was kind of, he helped me out as well. Do you know what I mean? Even though he was trying to sort of pick on us, but yeah. I helped. <laughs> I was like, yes. So, uh, no, I love school, man. It was never never a dull day. Like, I didn't know, like, I wasn't like, I mean, everyone skived school and that, but yeah, I just, I, I was good. I left, I think I left to go to college when I was 16. I got to music college, but I was in, I was in Perth Music College for like a month or six weeks, and then we got a we got a record deal. Like the View Boys got a record deal, so I just left. But uh, yeah, that was cool, man. Yeah. So, was there ever any kind of question like at school as to what you wanted to do when you left? Was music like it had to be music? And also, if if the answer is yes to that, did it did it seem possible that lads from Dundee could get record deals and? You know, did, was that something that you thought was was completely possible? Uh, no, no, I know at the time. Um, as, we didn't really know, like, because we were in a, we were in a cover band, but we used to do the talent show of the year, and then we started playing. We were called Lost Weekend, and we were called Surreal. Like Pete, Pete, the guitarist, his dad was like used to drive about, and he used to like because I, I was the only one with a mic because nobody would sing at that time. We had a different drummer called Ryan Brown but nobody was singing it I, I used to make you go right this is your moment right after the show he'd go he'd make me say we've you've been great we've been surreal <laughs> <laughs> and I would go no fuck you get your son to say it and his son would go and Pete would go no you say it you're the, man, you're the main man and I'd go no it's fucking it's embarrassing man and he'd go right okay you've been great we've been surreal well, thank you very much <laughs> right. and then we were called the Ka- Kyle and the Casuals and we were called the Lost Weekend and then for for like a for a bit we stopped playing, and then it was my my my, my dad's funeral when I was sixteen, and then I hadn't seen the boys in ages because they were a year older than me. I was still at school, but they had went and got trades. So Pete was a joiner, and Kieran was a civil engineer, 
and they'd went and got trades and then they we came back and I was like, oh, we've not played in ages. They went, let's get back together. I was like, I've got loads of songs and Kieran was like, I've got loads of songs too. So we came in and then we rehearsed and then we'd done like, we're coming down, Claudia, the Streetlights and Superstar Tradesman and then we were like, fuck, these are good. These are actually good. We, yeah, we could do it. And then we were like, let's give up our jobs and go full time. Because we had this pub called The Bayview that my cousin ran. So he was like, you could, you could have that uh, down the stairs. So that's where we got the name The View from. And then, we started thinking we're good, and then that was we started getting a bit cocky, and the drink started happening, and like drugs were happening, and then it became a scene, and everyone was coming to see. We had bust loads of people, so then it started like we're like shit, and then we got a, a man, some guy came to see with Grant Dixon. He's like, I want a manager's, and gave her like ten pounds each, and we all were able to like <laughs> like get actual drinks rather than scrounging. I was like, oh my god, so it was it happened pretty fast, you know what I mean? But the the biggest thing to ever come out of Dundee, we had the associates, Billy McKenzie, then we had Danny Wilson, who had like number one with Mary's Prayer. But even that, that seemed like fucking, you're never going to get there. But then Grant Dixon, our manager, was like, if there was someone who wanted to sign to, who would it be? Like, this, we'd only been together for like eight, eight nine months, can do our own material. We all had like nine songs. You know, like probably James Endicott from Rough Trade. And he was like, well, he wants you to come down to London. And I was like, what the fuck? And it happened like that. And then, we just came down and then we got we got signed and it was pretty quick, you know what I mean? But even then it was like, we, we, we kind of took it on our stride after that, like getting number one and like just getting signed. We never, we never even knew we were on a major label. I mean, we were on Columbia, Sony, and but we thought we were on like a wee indie because we were that, we were that stupid, yeah. you know what I mean? We were fucking 18. And it was just, we're just going about our head in the clouds the whole time as long as we were just getting pumped full of money and just fucking drugs and bevy. It was great. It was a great time, do you know what I mean? It was like, there was no PC shit back then as well. So yeah. you could do what you want, you know what I mean? You could do whatever you wanted. There was no, no, nothing. I mean, I got arrested for drugs and that. But like, I mean, you can't do anything, but you got away with no having a good time in a party without like having to watch what you do or watch what you say. So yeah. it was good times, man. But um but you didn't. I, I don't. I, I think to your question before. I think I wanted to be a of stuff. But I think once once I started writing songs, I wanted to do it because I remember I used to go on and I had my big PC in my in my room. I used to go online and go find out all the, the all the names of the the labels and the addresses. I used to write letters to them, send them tapes, send them all like demos and stuff. So I was always at it. You know what I mean? I'm still like that. I've never sat on my arse once, even like when. Even when I was in LA, I was thinking that was my chill time, but I was like, no, I need to get another album. I need to do another album. I'm constantly, constantly working on it. I've been like that since I was a kid. Where do you but think that like, drive uh, comes from, Carl? I don't know. I, I think it's maybe something to do with severe ADHD, like fucking, and, and just like, I've, I mean, I've got, it's been like that since I could remember, but I think it's, um, I'm just never, never settled. Do you know what I mean? I'm never happy. And I always think, even once something's produced, and I finished it, I still think, shit, I could have better that. Do you know what I mean? And I think sometimes it's good to be like that because it keep, gives you a drive. It's good. But other times, I mean, I've got to put my earphones in at night to get to sleep because I've, I'm just constantly writing. So I'll be like, fuck, I know my piano's just sitting there. I'll be like, oh, come on. And I start thinking I'm an arsehole if I don't get up and do it because it might be my next hit. That's what goes through my head. So I've got to put South Park on and just like shut off. Yeah. And like, just, hey, you guys, you guys, you guys. And like, oh, that's better. Oh, no songs, yes. Uh, and, and she's like, play the fucking volume down. I'm fed up a Catman's voice every night before I go to bed. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, you don't understand. I need it. I need it. So, like, I just, I'm constantly just doing it. And like, my manager, Al McGee, he's always like, Kyle, right? You told me to do this like two days ago. I'm on it. It's like, stop bugging me. I'm like, I just need to know you're doing it, but just check, just check, and it's cool. It's like, and it, like, I think when we first started working together, so we've had that. I think the view of had 27 managers or something. Like, we've, like, like, it's fucking crazy, right? But he was like, well, why is that? And I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. But I think, like, I reckon some of it's uh, got to be down to the fact <laughs> that you sounds like you boys didn't wash for five fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, man. I think it was. Just, I think it was just me. They'll be like, "Fuck you, I washed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just me, man. <laughs> and, and sort of, well, I'll tell you what. Let, let, let's get the next track out. And, and uh, the next track that uh, I want to ask you is the, the first song you remember buying from a record store. Do you remember what you sent over? Yeah, it was uh, TLC No Scrubs. That's a tune, right? Um, yeah, it's fucking brilliant. I love TLC, man. Uh, it was just, I mean, I'd, I'd been bought, I'd bought, I'd been given Michael Jackson, as I say, and then I'd been given other stuff. Like, I remember getting the Spice Girls album and stuff, like, but I remember uh, that was the first thing I went and bought with my pocket money. Um, 
but yeah, I just I just fucking loved it. I just thought it sounded really fresh and cool. Like it's still to this day that song stands the test of time. And funnily enough, like uh, I've been working with this guy, um, one of my good friends, um, his name's Rizy, Ryan Mc- Ryan Mackay. He lives up in Aberdeen, and he's he's like a dance producer. So I've been like a, a lot of the time. I'll reference TLC. I'll be like, but even though like we'll be making like a sort of TLC sounding song, by the time. At the time we're doing that, but at the, by the end it sounds like a sort of indie track, you know what I mean? But at the time I'm like, it needs to sound like this, and then the more you put on it, it gets less TLC. But I'm always like, oh, let's let's make it like TL, that TLC song or that TLC song. So, yeah, man. And what's what's your relationship been like with you know with with, with the the record shops like over the years, and, and more recently, you know, seeing uh, you, you know the, the campaign for for the recent release, like you know of, of have independent record stores been something that you've, you you know, you've, you've learned to really embrace? Uh, I mean, back in, the, when I was younger, I definitely gave like every, every penny I had to them. You know what I mean? Um, and sort of, I mean, when, when I was, when I was touring for all the time and never got a break, I never really done that. But then I think, I think in about 2011 or 12, I remember Mark Ronson bought me the, Bought me like every Oasis album, and then all the Stone, all the Stone Roses like singles, and like all these collectors things. And I remember thinking, "Fuck, these are mega!" And then I, I start, I started collecting vinyl after that. So I've got like shit tons of vinyl now. But I think, um, I think even like making sure that these people survive, like the, these record shops, because the, the one that we've got in Groucho was just closed. Uh, Groucho was in Dundee. That's just closed down, and that's been like there's a, there's a guy called Breeks. He just died recently. Uh, God rest his soul. But he, um, he was like. The, 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 the chat of the town, you know what I mean? Everyone was like fucking, I mean, you'd go in there, you got lost for fucking, for, for ages, you know what I mean? And even Pete, and even sometimes you'd, 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 uh, you'd go in and like come out with some fucking, I'd come out with some mad metal album, you know what I mean? I'm not, I, I, I liked kind of Iron Maiden a wee bit when I was younger, I like a, a wee bit of Metallica and Slayer and stuff like that. In school, we kind of dabbled in that, but no much. I, I, I kind of got fed up of, of a, uh, of lead guitar and just focused on just writing songs, but, I think, but even to, you'd go into, you'd start off as a fucking indie kid or whatever, and you'd come out with a fucking slayer, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. raining bloods, I've done mental, like some of the stuff, you're like, and I remember just thinking, is this okay to listen to this? Oh, well, it must be, it's in the record shop, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but yeah, it's fucking, it's class, man. It's, uh, yeah, I always try and do like, play the independent shops and stuff. It's, I mean, I, I, I just travelled to Leeds, and then I went to one in Manchester, I mean, all that way, and it was like, there might maybe about 30 people in the shop, but it was worth it. You know what I mean? I was fucking, yeah. I mean, the guy that I ended up selling like 100, 100 vinyl in one of the shops, like just even though there was 30 people there, they were ordering them for the friends and then he, he, he had bought more in and stuff. So they, they, they help you more than these HMVs. I mean, there was, there was a few times I tried to, I mean, the funny thing is when the view get back together, HMV will be like, oh, could you please come and play our shop? And I'll be like, you could fuck right off because I've tried to get to HMV on my last two albums, and they're like, we don't think you're going to attract enough people. I was like, see the fucking neck of the cube, and I played aside. There was like fucking three hundred people there. You know what I mean? I was like, so what? Well, how many people are you expecting in your shop? It only fits forty or something. But like, and then they'll be asking for the view to do it, and I'll be going, you could fuck off. You know what I mean? Like these big places, they don't give a shit. I mean, I've, every single album since the view, the view I've ever released, and my Mark Ronson stuff as well, I've always came to the Scottish HMVs and always been really nice to them, and like treated them fucking brilliant and like no because it's my solo album and it's not on a big label or that they're like no you can't you can't do it in the shop so it's like no fuck it I'll be sticking to the independence you know what I mean yeah absolutely absolutely for I mean I also want to ask you you know you, you're saying about like how, how driven you are and also like to, to be all of this stuff happening so young uh, uh, as well was you, a, was you a confident kid yeah I'm super confident. Yeah, I've always been a. I mean, I was quite shy. I mean, it was funnily enough, right? I was I, I was shy, but I was still confident. No, like sports or or music or going up and singing or like anything. I would just go and do it. You know what I mean? But sometimes I was a bit. I was kind of a wee bit nervous. I mean, still, to, I think when, when I was sixteen, after my dad died, I started. I developed this thing. It's mad because people used to think it was funny, but it was a massive issue. I used to get and developed a nervous laugh. And it was like whenever I'd, I couldn't order food or I couldn't, if I was going at the snooker hall, I couldn't, I couldn't go in and just say, oh, could I get a, a game of snooker? Because I'd just burst it laughing. 
anybody. And it was like, if anybody asked me for the time in the street, it burst out laughing. It was like a nervous disposition thing. And then it kind of developed, and I, I kind of stopped it once I started. Once I started drinking, and then I was like, oh, it's fixed. And then so I've always tried to. I got like a, when I was in. Uh, I started touring and stuff. I think after a couple of years of sort of hitting the, the bevy and whatever for like hard, I started. Obviously, it was related to that, but I didn't know at the time. But I started like getting this vomiting before I went on stage, or even if we pulled up to the venue, or if the venue was even mentioned, or it was like, "Oh, you're on in an hour." I'd go, Ugh! right? It was fucking crazy. So I just, Ugh! I was just wretch all the time. And the van, the band got used to it. They were just like, "Oh, I just have a bucket on stage and have a bucket at the side." And and I, and, and I never thought it was alcohol. I was like, what? I wonder what that is. And then I, I tried every tablet under the sun. And then one time I was at a party, I was like on acid and I fell and got a knife through my foot from a dishwasher. It went right in between my foot. And then I had to wait a couple of days in the hospital. But then they gave us like tramadol for the pain. And then I remember thinking, taking tramadol and thinking, fucking hell, this just, I stopped, I stopped boking. I stopped going, Ugh. I was like, oh, from the niche, this is it. I've got it. So I started fucking taking that like every day, like copious amounts. But thinking this is great, and then like waking up and like pills of vomit, but I wouldn't vomit during the day, and I was like, shit. So I was on that for a couple of years. And I was like, shit. What? So I've always kind of thought there's a problem, but it was just bevying too much, man. On on tours, and that was a vicious circle. So I'd be, I'd be like, even if I was taking it easy, it'd be. Like, I remember being at Reading, but we were playing the night before. I thought, obviously, drinks. I'll take it easy. Next day, I woke up and I was just like, the whole day, like, Egh! so you used to have to take this like tablet stematol that would stop us doing it. And I was still doing it. It'd be blood coming up and just the whole time ruining my throat. And then kind of, uh, what a shame on the band because they, they had to put up with that shit. They were like, well, if you didn't go out last night, you'd be fine. But you did. But I think because we were, when we were younger, we were used to just recovering really quick from a night yeah, out. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then, then when I'd go on like a fucking a week bender, I'd be drinking for two weeks on the tour bus. Every night was a party, you know, every single night till like six in the morning. You'd go to bed, wake up at about four, like not do a sim check, just get the, the crew to do a sim check go on stage, you'd have a couple of vodkas, a couple of beers, and you were just levelled out again. A couple of, a couple of blokes, and you were back to, back to normal. <laughs> and it was just, it was just a vicious cycle. So I think like now, I've, I've kind of realised what the problems were, but uh, just, you can't fix it with a bevy, and if you do too much bevy, it doesn't, it doesn't help. So it's just, it's just controlling it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I was so confused. I was I, I never even thought for a second it could be the alcohol or the drugs or anything. I thought that's definitely a nervous thing. But that was that was creating the nervous thing and giving me anxiety. You know what I mean? Because I was thinking I'd wake up and go, I need a drink to so that I don't vomit. Because if I, if I start thinking, I'm going to start vomiting. So I'd have to have a drink when I woke up. And it wasn't because I was shaking. I needed a drink. I was just thinking if I don't have a drink, I'm going to vomit. That it was like it was this. It was horrible times, man. But I, I've, I've got it sorted, man. I wouldn't. Have, in the dream of doing that shit anymore, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I've, I've done a few, a few quite extensive tours and I've been all right. No, no boking anyway. Maybe a, maybe a boking a half now and again, but like, it's all right, yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, we, we, we've mentioned about, you know, obviously getting cracked with a bat and how that kind of changed the, the, the course of, of, of your career and life. And, and, and with that kind of mindset, everything happens for a reason. If you, to, if you could go back now, would you change anything that you just mentioned? Would I change anything? Yeah. Like, in regards uh, to, like, the kind of, the, the, the touring behaviour and, you know, deciding that tramadol's exactly how you should be dealing with the booze. <laughs> I just did tramadol instead, copious amounts. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, was, it was no, it, it, the view, you know, from my perspective, when I'd pick up the enemy or the Melody Maker or whatever, you know, it was... You were you were the rock and roll boys. You you were you was this raucous touring band that you know that 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 were party boys. You were young lads like having the time of your lives. Like that was how I perceived it. And obviously, you've just sort of you know shed a little bit more light on what was going on with, with yourself and, and maybe what some of the boys had to kind of you know understand about your behaviour. Like, would you change anything now in, if you could, or do you think uh, it all happens for a reason? I mean, it probably does all happen for a reason. But if I was able to. Mm, I, 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 do you know what? It's mad because I, I always say, like, I, I kind of, whenever I meet my old tour managers or my old managers, I go, why the fuck did you let us do that? He's like, are you joking? Trying to tell you. He said, you were fucking go mental. <laughs> He's like, you were always saying you're in charge and all this shit. And I was like, well, you should have slapped us. <laughs> I was like, but I'm not sure if I would. Uh, nah, I probably wouldn't change stuff because if I changed anything, I wouldn't have my kids. I've got another kid on the way. I've got one of three kids in the oh, next few weeks. So, so, like, I wouldn't change stuff because I wouldn't have had my kids. But 
I think even now, like when when the view, even when I'm chatting to the viewing that, we're, we're, if we were to get back, it's like we've all said, yeah, but it can't be like that. Way. And it's like, oh no, oh no. It's like, are we a wee bit? And they're like, oh, well, maybe I'm not. But no, no, like, yeah, we'll need to watch what we drink before we go on stage. And none of that. And, not, and he wouldn't be getting backstage and no, and none of that. And yeah, we've already sort of set some, some rules if it ever happened. But it's, uh, yeah, but we're kids, man. It, it, you give people loads of money in a fucking tour bus and send them all over the world. It's what like, do you expect? Fuck, yeah, it's fucking. They're, they're, nobody prepares you for that not, ever. Yeah. Know what I mean? And you think you're the dog's bollocks, know what I mean? Because you are the dog's bollocks. So it's yeah. like fucking. It was good times, man. But yeah, there, there is. I mean, there's some times when I've not I've been carted off a stage sleeping and, and it fucking and no turned up for shows and just. I remember one night I was out partying with a. With this girl, and I thought, oh, fucking, on the on the ecstasy of that we're all night, and I was just like, oh, what a night! And I was like, she was like, you're meant to be playing tomorrow. It was like this festival, and I was like, oh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And then the next day, I was like, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, I've got a gig. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, fucking, I'm trying to phone people. Everyone's was like, where the fuck would we'll be phoning you? And I'm like, you're on, you're on the stage in 20 minutes. I'm like, I'll be here soon. <laughs> anyway, and then I turned up and then I, I remember I fainted on stage. Wait a minute, darling. Daddy's just on the phone. Oh, is that me? Cool. Oh, cool. Go and show mum. And I was on stage and I remember I fainted. And uh, I remember getting like filled off the stage and it was like, Oh, I don't know what's wrong with someone's someone's really came came on and and then <laughs> the guy was like, You were partying. The, the, the promoter was like, You were partying until six AM with my daughter last night, giving her drugs. So I was like, I was like totally, totally caught, totally caught. I was like, Okay, I admit it, it was me, I was partying all night. <laughs> I was like, but I was like, Oh, something's happened to us, my heart's not feeling right. He's like, Yeah, she were out all night. Yeah, his daughter was older than me, and I was like, She was giving me the drugs. And he was like, No, she was, she was like, No. So that was I got caught right-handed, like trying to lie a bit, like not feeling well. But brilliant. Yeah. Well, I, I guess at this point, uh, nightclubs can present themselves. So I have a track five. I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Well, I'd, I've never really been clubbing. I went to a couple of indie nights when I was younger, but um, I mean, it, pe- that's the thing. People always think that. It, it's, it has to be some kind of sort of rave experience. It can be the local indie night. If you've got a song that reminds okay. you of them early years of indie nights, then by all means. Um, it's probably, it would probably be uh, Libertines again, like Don't Look Back Into The Sun. That was like, that was the total indie night song. Um, I mean, when that, when that song, I remember first hearing that song in, on Virgin Radio in my art class thinking, who the fuck is this, man? Oh my God, this is outstanding. Like, really class, you know what, proper pull the heart strings. I was like, oh, and then, then you see them, like, what they look like and everything. It's just like, that was, that just reminds me of a good time. There's a place in, uh, right, 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 when you go and see mum, please. Daddy's just doing this. What a, go and see, sorry. It's all right, man. <laughs> Daddy's so chilling. Uh, we were, um, this? Yeah, there was a place called the Reading Rooms in Dundee, which we used to always go to. It was like, just when that song came on, just the toms, the boom, 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 boom. It was just like, it was just fucking, just reminds me of like just field nights, just not not remembering how I'm getting home. And just, that was what, that was, I think that was the first just consequence for the environment. You know what I mean? Like just being sort of 17 and just starting to get into clubs and stuff. It was just, it was superb times. Like, be I remember doing a lot of mushrooms as well. Like at that time, like just feeling like loosey goosey. Just feel like yeah, it's like an <laughs> amazing one. It's class. Nice. Right. Well, for track six, I'm going to take you home, uh, and I'm going to ask you to tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Um, I mentioned them earlier on, but um, Danny Wilson. Uh, uh, they've got a guy called Gary Clark and Kit Clark, two brothers actually. But Gary Clark writes the songs, and he's a uh, he, uh, do you know the song? If I said, save me, save me, and what I wouldn't give to be when I was Mary's prayer. It's like fucking brilliant. I remember first hearing that on the radio, my sister went, you know they're from Dundee? And I went, oh my God. I was like, what? Because we never really heard it. We always felt like it was only Glasgow and Edinburgh that got famous people. And then she was like, whoa. And it's like, yeah. And I was like, we live in America now. You write songs from that way. I'm really in Britney Spears. And I was like, cool. And I remember thinking like, oh, cool. It could be done. You know what I mean? So like, but I've, I've met him. I've, I've actually wrote songs on before and stuff. He's a cool guy. But even uh, that, that guy was number one for like seven weeks. That, that still comes on radio two every day. So oh, it's a yeah, that was that's still single man. Yeah, it's class, man. Yeah, I fucking love it. And so was the associate something that 
I guess you know, being the age you are, did, did you sort of obviously you missed the associates and 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 uh, yeah. So yeah, I missed the associates, but Billy Billy McKenzie actually managed my manager's band for a bit. I think my manager was in a band called Yellow Car, and Billy McKenzie was managing it. I think so, but he he says some mad stories. I don't know. I, I might have just made that up. But I'm sure. That's what was true. the band called? A Yellow Car. Right. Yellow Car. They're from Dundee. They got a big like publishing deal in the back in the day, but they um. They went on tour with Green Day and stuff. Uh, yeah, I remember that. But he, but yeah, but Billy, uh, Billy McKenzie managed them. I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, they were still to this day. If you're being from Dundee, if you're ever in London or that, people are like, oh, "Where are you from?" Like Dundee, they go, "Oh, Billy McKenzie, oh, the associates." You go, "Ah, the view." <laughs> you go, "Fuck you!" What a fucking <laughs> voice he had, though, man. Uh, oh, it's oh, fucking le- legend, man. Absolute legend. Okay, right. Last track. This is when you can be a uh, tastemaker, mate, and uh, and turn someone onto something new. It's a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. It's people that know me, people that I know that follow my band or my music probably know that I'm obsessed with this band. But I thought for people that have that are listening to your podcast and that they should listen. Uh, there's a band called Sound of Guns that uh, toured with us extensively back in the day and. And from about 2010 to 2013 or so, a guy called Andy Metcalf, uh, his, his daughter's actually in the Mysterines. She's the layoff, she's in the Mysterines, but he, he kind of co-writes a lot of stuff with her, I think. But uh, the song's called Collisions, and I remember seeing this band in Putney, in Putney Bridge in a pub, is it the Half Moon or something in Putney? Yeah, Half Moon Putney. And yeah. I, I remember seeing them and going, who the fuck is this? They looked so cool, and they were like, they sound like fucking sort of U2, but but more, they're kind of the Libertines slash U2, but I like the Walkman or something, like, the voice is incredible. Like, I just, the lyrics and that just blew me away. I was like, it's just, it's just different. They're not trying to be anybody else. I thought, like, just, I remember just being absolutely fucking blown away. I still am to this day. He still calls me, like, Andy, now and again, just, like, fucking, like, off his trolley, like, oh, how's it going, kids, from, from Liverpool? He's like, fucking... Oh, I can't wait to see you know thinking about running that marathon. I go fucking hell, you kind of get off that couch, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah, but I, no, honestly, they really inspired me. Song collisions, it's great. And I remember like coming. I, I think when the, we were touring with them and the view and stuff, they people started just coming to see them rather than us. It was like yeah. they were fucking. They got a really big following here. They started like selling out like big venues in Scotland. But they've split up. But hopefully they get back together because fucking it's super super times, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as as sort of twenty twenty one, you know, we're getting into the latter part of it, and hopefully, it's going to be a, a far more open, connected, and joyous place than than how the year started. With with, with that in mind, mate, um, what are you looking forward to from the rest of this year, and what are you going to be doing professionally for the rest of this year? Um, uh, I've got another marathon to do. In a couple of weeks in Liverpool, then I'm having a kid in a few weeks, and then I've got a wee tour. I'm playing um, playing Glasgow St Luke's, I'm playing Leeds Brindell Social Club, I'm playing London Oslo, and Manchester night and day. So I'm doing that uh, tour in December, and then hopefully we'll try and get a wee, uh, maybe a surprise Christmas show someplace. And next year I'll be doing a tour again, a lot of festivals. But yeah, and just um, I've got like a shit ton of music um, demoed up, so I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I'm just kind of deciding what path to take. Yeah. Man. And if people want to keep up to speed with everything you're doing, where's the best place to do that, mate? Um, my Instagram, Kyle Francis Folk, and the Twitter is Kyle Francis Folk as well. Wicked. Well, if so, I'll, be, I'll tag you in it when we put this out, so uh, so people can find it nice and easily. Um, Carl, man. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed yeah. chatting to you, man. You too, man. Spawn. Oh, man. Thanks loads, mate. Legend. See you soon. There you go. What an absolute gent. That was great. Like, bundles of energy. Absolutely transparent, like, honesty. Love that, you know. It was it's lovely to kind of get a little look behind the curtain of what you see in the, you know, in, in the music press back then of, of you know, just how... These these young lads were just you know this raucous rock and roll band and 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 just kind of sort of seeing that the other side of that uh, you know our Carl had to learn to sort of process that and and you know and and self medicate you know to from what sounds like you know ridiculously dangerous levels and uh, and yeah to sort of turn that round and 
lovely to sort of, you know, have uh, have him sitting at home, you know, lovely family, uh, you know, that, that that's growing in a couple of weeks as well, and and to be running marathons and uh, and making some of the best music of his career, and uh, yeah, so so yeah. Much love to him for that and uh, for giving up his time today to to chat on here. Thanks to you lot for giving up your time to uh, to listen. Uh, can't thank you enough. I love having these chats with people. You know, talking about music's my absolute joy, and and to get to do it with with so many people whose work I'm a, a big fan of makes it uh, an absolute joy. Um, I'm back next time. In the, in the meantime, if you want to go and follow us on the socials, we're on all the usual platforms. Um, and if you want to support the podcast on uh, the Patreon and get access to another couple of hundred of episodes at the back catalogue there and all the videos and radio shows, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track or just go to the website. The website's got uh, links to everything you ever need uh, regarding this podcast, which is off the beat and track podcast.com. I'm back next time. Have a lovely week. See you soon. Bye bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat a monkey.